the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Paul doesn't let us, you see, dismiss the example of Christ and say, well, listen, he's God, I'm not, so I can't live up to it. Paul immediately applies it and focuses and zeroes in on us having the responsibility to obey. You can't walk away from this and say, well, that's Jesus And this is us. No, the Word of God demands and calls us to the same kind of humility that Christ displayed. I once heard someone say, I'm not completely worthless. You can always use me for a bad example. On the other hand, the Lord Jesus Christ set such a lofty standard for us that there is no way, while we are still in these mortal bodies, that we can ever reach His standard of excellence. So, why should we even try? The short and simple answer is that God told us to. He gave us what law enforcement people call motive, means, and opportunity. We will find out more about that today and in the days to come on Verse by Verse. It's wonderful to have you here in class with us. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us verse by verse through the second chapter of Philippians. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. Paul wrote these verses to help the Philippians deal with some conflict issues that they were facing. One of the essential ingredients for church unity is humility. Verses 12 and 13 will be home base for us for this lesson and the next two. So if you follow along in your Bible, and I recommend that you do read along if possible, Keep a marker there as we explore other passages that will help us to understand our main text. Now, here is Pastor Steve with today's lesson. Charles Spurgeon was a great English preacher in the 1800s, very well known. In fact, he was called the Prince of Preachers. But early in his Christian life, he became very much aware of his own struggle to obey Christ. He became aware of the struggle that every believer eventually becomes aware of, that struggle to do what's right, and yet we want to do what's not right, and we want to put away sin in our lives and obey, and we have a struggle. It's really what he discovered was Paul's struggle in Romans chapter 7. The good that I want to do, I don't do. Things that I don't want to do, I do. And Paul and Spurgeon certainly could relate at that point. Now, as a result of Spurgeon's own spiritual honesty in admitting his struggles, some people don't admit their struggles, but Spurgeon was brutally honest in admitting his own struggles. He tended to overreact when he heard believers deny their struggles and claim to have achieved that place of sinless perfection. Well, one time when Spurgeon was a guest speaker at a, at a conference, he heard uh, another conference speaker publicly state, and I quote, Christians could reach a place of sinless perfection where they no longer struggled with sin or had any desire to sin because they were perfected in the love of God. In fact, the speaker claimed that, he had, that this had been his experience, sinless perfection. Spurgeon was the wrong guy to say that around. Well, at first Spurgeon said absolutely nothing. 
But the next morning during breakfast time, he crept up behind the man and poured a pitcher of milk on his head. (laughs) Needless to say, very soon it became obvious to all that this man was still very much capable of sin. And that was Spurgeon's point. Now, I wouldn't suggest that you and I use Spurgeon's method in proving the sinfulness of a believer. All you have to do is really understand Philippians chapter 2. So let's turn there because in Paul's letter to the Philippians, specifically in chapter 2, while this was a very wonderful church and he had a close relationship with them, he is dealing in chapter 2 with a sin problem a problem that they were struggling with, a problem that was obvious to him, a problem that needed to be addressed. And the problem that they were struggling with was was unity in the church. They were into themselves. They were self-centered. They were concerned about their own rights. And it became damaging to the ministry of the church. There was little unity. There was little harmony in the church. They were into themselves and not looking out for the interest of others. And he pointedly addresses this problem in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Don't do anything that stems from, from that kind of motivation, but with humility of mind, and that's the key phrase, humility of mind, a lowliness, a servant's attitude, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, we need to understand that when the unsaved do that, but when a whole church is into that kind of thing, then you're going to have some serious problems. And that's what was going on here. And so you see a little bit of that in chapter 4, verse 2, where there are two women who are at each other's throats. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche, two women in the church, to live in harmony in the Lord. Why did Paul urge them to do that? Because apparently these women were at each other's throats and perhaps they were ringleaders in this whole fiasco. And so while we may, if we were to visit, uh, if we had visited the church at Philippi on a Sunday morning back in, in the first century, we may have said, wonderful church, great group of people. Internally, Paul understood that some things were not right. They may have looked good to visitors, but inside things were not right. And so he addresses this problem. But he doesn't just point out their sin. He tells them that if you want to understand the principle of verses 3 and 4 of not looking on each other's uh, own interests, on, on your self-interest, but looking on the interests of others rather, then you need to understand how the person of the Lord Jesus Christ operated while he was on earth. And so Paul gives the perfect uh, inspired illustration of what Philippians 2, 3 and 4 means in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. He says this, have this attitude or have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now he said, you you need to have humility of mind, and if you need an example, and we all need an example, you need to look to the person of Christ. Have this attitude, have this mind, which was demonstrated in, in Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is to say that if you want to, uh, to be a humble servant, you need to understand that Jesus was a selfless person. That Jesus, though he is God, and though he uh, existed in the form of God, that is to say the radiance of God's glory came through him for all of eternity, yet he didn't hold on to that. He didn't grab hold of that and say, I'm not going to let go of this. But no, in the incarnation, he came to earth. 
He came to earth and he took on the form of a bondservant. That is a selfless mind. If you want to know how to uh, think about the interests of others and have humility of mind, you are to be selfless and you are to think about others. Secondly, the mind of Christ is a serving mind. In verse 7 he says, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. That is to say, not only did he was he selfless, he actually took on the, the form of a servant, of a slave, and he served others. So humility of mind means that we are actually serving others in the body of Christ. We are interested in others. We are not self-centered. Thirdly, the, so the mind of Christ is a submissive mind in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming, and here's the key word, obedient to the point of death. Not only was he a servant, not only was he selfless, but he was actually submissive to the Father. For really, in my, uh, in my understanding of the person and work of Christ, for the first time in eternity, he was submissive. He was, he didn't have to be submissive before. Of course, there, the three persons of the Trinity are always in harmony and in agreement, but he actually submitted himself to the authority of the Father. So what we're saying is that the selfless serving mind of humility also is submissive to the authority of God. It is obedient. And finally, it is sacrificial because not only was he obedient to the point of death, but Paul writes even death on a cross. Death on a cross. The most horrible degrading, excruciating form of death, and that is the sacrificial mind of Christ. It cost him something. Ministry is nothing if it doesn't cost you something, somewhere along the line. So Christ becomes our example. He's the living illustration of true, genuine humility. But Paul doesn't stop there, because we say in the realm of materialism, what goes up must come down. But God says in the spiritual realm, what goes down must come up. And so when Christ humbled himself, God the Father then exalted him. And that's found in verses 9 through 11. I'm just catching you up so you'll understand the flow of, of Philippians 2. Therefore, verse 9, therefore, in other words, based on what Christ has done in humbling himself, therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and those on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess and will confess, I might add, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Paul didn't stop there. Not only did Christ come down in terms of humility, but he also went up in terms of exaltation. And so God the Father exalted him, and Paul's point is this. Just as Jesus Christ focused his attention on humbling himself and not exalting himself, he concentrated on humbling himself, so we are to do that. In other words, humble yourselves and let God take care of exalting you. People who exalt themselves, people who are overwhelmed by pride. Now, we all struggle with pride. But we're talking about people who constantly give into it, who are overwhelmed by pride, constantly have problems because God is always humbling them. And they fight that. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And they really bring on their own problems. The principle is this. It's found in Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And that's the principle that Paul is, is speaking of. And the point is this. Forget about honoring yourself. Forget about exalting yourself. Forget about praising yourself. You do that, and, and God's going to humble you. Instead, concentrate on humbling yourself. It's an act of the will, and, and then just leave the exaltation to God, because he will exalt you if you're a believer, ultimately in glory and most likely in some area, or he could, while you're still on earth. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. He is taking us through the second chapter of the book of Philippians as we consider church unity. 
Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 as the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us more about it. Hi, this is Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse Radio. I want to thank you for listening to these broadcasts. We appreciate your faithful support of this ministry. And I and I want you to know that um, recently I've written a book about romance and marriage. It's called The Pleasures of Marriage. It's a verse-by-verse exposition of the Song of Solomon. I think it'll help your marriage. I think it'll strengthen marriages. I think it will uh, also help those who are singles, who are preparing to get married or hope someday to get married. This book is available on Amazon.com, and once again, it's called The Pleasures of Marriage. As a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that Verse by Verse needs your financial support, and we appreciate your financial support. It's costly to prepare these programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Seven five eight. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you and strengthen you as you listen to him speak, verse by verse. Before the break, we heard Pastor Steve quote Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Jesus said, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. I mentioned at the start of class that the example Christ set for us can be pretty overwhelming. Let's see how we can use His example and His commands to make us more like our Lord. If you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Here is Pastor Steve. Now, having laid out this wonderful illustration of humility before the Philippians, Paul now begins to apply it to their own situation, and we'll see the application to ourselves. So let's look at verses 12 and 13. Actually, the passage goes on, but we're only going to study verses 12 and 13 this morning. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation or your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure." In applying it to the Philippians, and that's what Paul is doing, he is now applying what he has already told them to the Philippians. We learn what God expects from us individually and as a church family. What does God expect from us as a congregation? And you see, it's important for us to grasp this because we are faced with Christ as our example. Now, I don't know if you have thought about this, but it can be an overwhelming, intimidating situation to be faced with the example of Christ. To always ask yourself what Jesus would do can be very overwhelming. In fact, they you can just sort of throw up your hands and say, why bother? He is a perfect example. He never has sinned. He never will sin. How can I measure up to that? In fact, it was Mark Twain, the humorist, who once said, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. And that's what you're faced with. How can I ever do what Christ did? I'm just a mortal person who struggles with sin. In fact, you don't even have to pour milk on my head for me to admit that I struggle with sin. 
And, and that can be the situation that we find ourselves in. And I really believe that's the purpose with Paul saying, work out your own salvation. God's at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Paul doesn't let us, you see, dismiss the example of Christ and say, well, listen, he's God, I'm not, so I can't live up to it. Paul immediately applies it and focuses and zeroes in on us having the responsibility to obey. You can't walk away from this and say, well, that's Jesus, and this is us. No, the Word of God demands and calls us to the same kind of humility that Christ displayed. And so this morning, we want to learn how to obey God How to obey God so that unity will be a reality in the church. He is still dealing with unity, but he is now focusing on obedience. And just in case uh, the people at Philippi and the people at Lakeside were wondering and saying, I possibly, I I can't obey like Christ, Paul says, oh, yes, you can. You can obey. And so now we're going to learn some truths about obedience. This morning, we're going to see the principle of obedience, how obedience works, and then the power for obedience. The principle is effort. The, the power for obedience is God's enablement. Effort and enablement, the principle of obedience. Let's look at verse 12, because that's where Paul begins. He says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul begins by saying at the beginning of verse 12, so then, very important words. Very important words. The expression at the beginning that's translated so, so then can also be translated well, uh, wherefore or therefore, and it connects us with all that Paul's been speaking about in the previous verses. When you see that in the Bible and, and you see a therefore, you have to wonder why is it there? When you see a wherefore, when you see a so then, what he is doing is saying, in other words, the logical uh, consequence of what I've been telling you is this. In other words, this is the application. This is where I'm heading. This is the point of what I've said. And what is the point? What has he been talking about? Namely, the obedience of Jesus Christ in humility. The obedience of Christ towards the Father. And what he is saying is this. The logical consequence is that as Christ obeyed, so should you. It's possible. Not possible. God, not only possible, but it is also demanded of God. So then obey. So then obey. And to what degree did Christ obey? Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, obedience is a serious matter. Christ went to the cross. He voluntarily laid his life. He said no one took it. He voluntarily laid down his life. But while Paul commands them to obey, notice he goes on in verse 12 to say, my beloved. He's not calling them to obey like um, a military leader. I saw on on a news network recently about how the military is going through a, a change in exercise program and how they're getting the men and the women into into aerobics. And they've taken their combat boots and now they're into running shoes. And uh, they closed the uh, the newscast by saying this. They said, In this exercise program, the instructor is always right. Well, Paul doesn't speak to them as you would uh, as a military commander. He doesn't just bark out orders. He, He tempers what he says with love, with love. So then, my beloved, the people I love, the people I care about, the people I long for, my beloved. See, Paul had a very special love relationship with the Philippians. 
Very special. If you look back at chapter 1, I'll just remind you, he writes while he's in prison. You understand he's writing this from a prison. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He says in verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you. I have you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness, I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. They cared about him. They sent him a love offering uh, more than once. They sent a man by the name of Epaphroditus to search Paul out in Rome and to express their great concern for him. So there was a unique love bond between Paul and the Philippians. So when he says, my beloved, he's not just saying words that are meaningless to him. They held a special place in his heart. But that can be a problem. That can be a serious problem. They love Paul so much that they would do anything for Paul. Now, we might say, wasn't that wonderful? It's wonderful, but it's also dangerous, very dangerous. It can lead to being a man pleaser. It it can lead to an over-dependency upon a spiritual leader, and we have certainly have seen this in our generation. We've certainly seen this. It can lead to following a man and not Christ. It can lead to the worship of a man, to idolatry, to do anything that this man says, even if it's not right. And there is a suggestion of this back in chapter 1, verse 27. Verse, chapter 1, verse 27, he writes, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or, watch, remain absent... I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, this suggests to me that they look too much to Paul, too much to Paul to help them in their spiritual growth. When Paul was with them, they had no trouble obeying him. But what he is saying in the suggestion in chapter 1, verse 27 is, I know that you obey me, you've obeyed me when I'm there, but I'm not there now. And so I'm telling you, in my absence, do this. There seems to be some doubt in Paul's mind whether they would follow through and obey when he wasn't around, and that is very serious. Did they need his presence to obey God? Do you need the presence of a spiritual leader to obey God? That's very, very dangerous. There are people who would do anything for their pastor. I know that. I understand that. But that can be dangerous if a pastor exploits you, and there are many men who do financially and in other ways. Very dangerous. You see, the real issue is obedience to God. And the principle is whether a a man is your pastor or not, or a spiritual leader, you ought to obey God. See, notice what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 12. Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now also much, but now much more in my absence. Paul is saying, you obeyed in my presence. I, I want you now, just like you obeyed in my presence, to obey in my absence. And that's the point here. Obey because it's right to obey God, not because I'm there. Now, when you have to say that, that tells me that there are some problems. That tells me that there are some problems. You see, it's relatively easy to obey when other people are watching us. Because there's some kind of pressure there. We don't want to look bad in their presence. We don't want them to be disappointed in us. But the real test of obedience is what do you do when you're alone? When there's no pressure. An often repeated quote states that character is what you do when no one is watching. We will continue to explore that concept when we come back next time with Verse by Verse. We're glad you could join us today for another radio Bible class. 
Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is our instructor, and we are proceeding verse by verse through the second chapter of Philippians. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving since 1981. These programs are an extension of his pulpit ministry, and they are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry dependent upon the gifts and prayers of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to listen again to today's class or a previous one, stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. It's a great way to catch up on previous classes or to learn more about this ministry. You might also like to sign up for our complimentary newsletter or our free podcasting service. That's versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the start of a three-part message. You can hear the entire message at once if you would like to order an audio CD. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will get back to you during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, let go and let God. But what do we let go of and what do we let God do? It's a good thing to let go of our anger, our selfishness, pride, and ambition, and let God empower us to exercise spiritual disciplines to become fully devoted followers of Christ. But if we use this slogan as a call to passivity, to a life of just sitting and waiting for God to make us perfect, we do so in disobedience to a lot of Scripture, including the passage that we will be studying in the next verse by verse. I hope we'll see you then. We're here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 